reading from John 16, verses 16 through 25 and 33. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they had wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The word of the Lord. Spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for the resurrection and that it lives in each of us as we come. Lord, I pray that you would be in our midst here in the BMI, here in each person's home who is watching online, that your Holy Spirit would come and that would transform us and that we would become more and more into your image that you would allow these words to change our hearts and our minds. Be with us as we worship, continue in worship as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, Grace City. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kristen Hannigan. I'm the executive pastor here at Grace City. And I'm excited to be bringing you this uh, part of the Farewell Discourses. And we've been studying these farewell discourses for the past several weeks, and the, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for this trip that they're going to be going on without him. Um, he's been reminding them of the teachings. He's been giving them words of comfort. He's talked about obedience and love. And even as last week, talking about how he is sending an advocate when he leaves them. 
And so this trip that Jesus has been talking about, or this, um, these words of leaving his disciples, it's reminded me a bit of a road trip. And I think, was thinking back um, in college, and road trips were just one of the, some of my favorite memories with some of my college friends. And one of my favorites was this trip that my friend and I took to Michigan um, for a conference, and then we kind of turned it into a vacation. And so this was, I'm gonna date myself, but this was back in the day. There was no smartphones, there were no GPS. All we had on this road trip, we didn't know where we were going, was a AAA travel book, for those of you who know what those are, and paper maps. And we didn't know where we were going, but we just kind of picked places and drove around and got lost, but, but had a lot of fun. And I think even now, with all of the technology, and we can just plug a destination in or look up where we want to go, where the closest restaurant is, the thing that I love about road trips is there's a bit of the unknown. You don't quite know what you're going to encounter. You don't know for sure when you're going to get somewhere. You don't know exactly what you're going to see on the road. And, and that's part of the fun, at least for me. Some of you may not, not like that as much. But even now with the technology, you might even plot your, your route on your GPS to maybe avoid certain cities or to take the scenic route or to take the shortest route or the fastest route. And so. But even with the GPS, you're still going to th encounter things that you weren't expecting. And so here, Jesus has been saying in these discourses, and even before that, he's been saying the equivalent of detour ahead. I'm not going to be with you. And here, that's got to be hard for the disciples, because they were probably thinking, we've got a pretty good thing going. We've been going around, doing these miracles, doing our ministries. Love being with you, Jesus. And now you're saying you're not going to be with us. What's going on? And Jesus is saying, detour ahead. And a lot of times when we encounter those, road, those um, signs on our own journeys, detour ahead, road work ahead, we don't, still don't know what that's going to look like. Is it going to be just a simple detour, like just do a quick U-turn and I'm there? Or am I going to be spending another hour going through back roads trying to find my way back and Will I even get to my destination? Will the detour have taken me away from where I thought I was even going? And finally here, in these verses, Jesus gives the disciples some information about what this detour is going to look like. He is telling them what to expect on the way ahead. And I think, you know, the idea of going what's next is something that should have brought them comfort. How many of us have questions of what our future is going to look like? We want to know, how long am I going to be at this job? Am I going to be here in Baltimore forever? Am I going to move in a year? Am I going to get married? Am I going to have kids? Am I going to have grandkids? What is life going to look like next week, next year, next decade? I would imagine every single one of us in this room and online have at least one of those questions that we would love to know the answer to. We want to know how to plan. But yet, as we look at this, there is some information that we would get if God came and answered that burning question that we have. But it would also probably leave us with a lot more questions. And here he tells us in verse 16, he tells the disciples, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. <laughs> Jesus isn't known for being plain spoken, and yet he's being pretty plain spoken here. He's saying, not going to see me, going to see me again. But the disciples, understandably, 
were very confused. And he said they saw, Jesus saw that he, what they wanted to ask him. And he said, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. He knows that they're confused. And this detour probably sounds a bit crazy. He's like, you've been telling us that you're leaving us. And now you're saying, we're going to see you again? Like, what, what is the purpose of all of this? But this isn't just a simple U-turn. It's not just a simple game of hide-and-seek or peekaboo. He says that while he's gone, you will weep and mourn as the world rejoices. You'll have grief. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Grief to joy, this idea of him going away. And at first glance, the disciples are probably like, okay, grief, we get that. You're going away, so yeah, we would miss you, and there would be some grief, right? And it's true that there is grief from Jesus, the fact that Jesus will depart from them. But this grief that Jesus is talking about is so much more than just the missing Jesus. Before we get into this, I want to look at the analogy that Jesus says in here. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. There's this analogy of childbirth here, and I've not had the blessing of having my own children, but I've talked to a lot of women who have had babies over the years. And even asked a couple of them if, if reading this passage that, that resonates with them. And they, they agreed that it did, because they talk about how in labor that there is immense pain, but there's purpose in the pain. And in one of my... Um, one of my friends had, has even told me before, she's like, I liked knowing that this was what my body was made to do. Like, it was horrible, but like, there was purpose. I could see what was, was coming forward. And so in that same way that the labor pain moves a woman closer and closer to meeting her baby, this grief brings us closer and closer to the joy that's coming. There is purpose in this grief that Jesus is talking about here. This grief, and we want to skip over the grief, right? We want to get straight to the joy. But this grief is just as important as the joy. This grief is not just about Jesus dying. It's not just about missing their friends. The grief is about the pain of witnessing the crucifixion, knowing that it was their sin that put him there. That it was the world's sin, even though they rejoiced, it was the world's sin that put him there. It was our sin that put him on the cross. And that is what we should be grieving. That our sin, that Jesus took our sin up onto the cross. We don't like to think about our sin very much. We like to think a lot of times that we are good people. You know, I haven't robbed a bank this week. Doing pretty well. But... As we grow as Christians, there's, there can be a danger of starting to maybe minimize the sin in our lives. One of my friends, um, we exchanged prayer requests, and she was talking to me about how this month she really wanted to be, to confess and repent and recognize even the smallest sin in her life so that she would know her need for a savior. How many times do I minimize my sin? Do I think, oh yeah, I was just tired and I was impatient with that person, but it's okay. Or maybe have moments of greed, laziness. How often do I minimize that and, 
and um, brush it off. But when we take time to notice our sin, to notice what we've done, we appreciate the joy that comes with knowing that Jesus took that sin, nailed it to the cross, died for it, and rose again. It says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. We should not stay, as, I, as I've talked about noticing your sin, that's not where I want you to stay. That's not, don't to say dwelling, but to dwell on what was done for our sin that it is washed away. And because of that, we have great joy in knowing that as we just say, that resurrection power that lives in each of us. And that is how we can experience that joy, is by recognizing and grieving. This trip that the disciples are on, the destination is joy the joy that comes with recognizing our need for a savior and for the love and what that savior did for each and every one of us. As we look at this idea of this trip that, we're, that the disciples are on, we're all each on our journey and our destination should also be this joy. And I wanna raise three points as we're on this journey of what that should look like. The first point is that time is relative. It starts off with Jesus saying that he is going to be gone for a little while. And in this verse, he's talking about his death and resurrection, and that's the three days between there. And we could probably say, yeah, three days, little while. But time for God isn't the same as it is for us. If any of you watched the show, The Good Place, any fans of that? Well, anyway, for any of you who haven't, and I don't, it's a very cute show, but don't, Take any, there's nothing biblical about the way they depict the afterlife, but they talk about time in a way that's called Jeremy Baramy. And if you imagine the words Jeremy Baramy written in cursive, that is the way t- they talk about time being. And so it's in loops and things come back around and you, things meet in places and the future happens before the past. And nothing is this linear fashion the way that we experience time. And I loved that kind of analogy of it because we get so caught up on what is a little while, how much longer, when is this going to happen? But in reality, for God, all things have yet to happen and all things have already happened. And when we're waiting here on earth, it is not a waste of time. There's not that God is just sitting around twiddling his thumbs or expecting us to twiddle his thumbs till we come back around on the next loop. In 2 Peter, it says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With, a Lord, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. A thousand years and one day. Most, we'll, none of us will live a thousand years, but the fact that he is saying here that those are the same, that little while, whatever you are waiting for, Whatever you are longing for, it is in God's books a little while, even though it may seem much longer to you. And while we are waiting, waiting should never be this passive thing, twiddling our thumbs, just waiting for God to show up. When you look at the word waiting in the Bible and you look at what it translates to, it never is this passive thing. It is about confident expectation, knowing that God is going to do something 
and is going to do something far more than you could ever imagine. While we're also on this journey, we can expect transformation. We, as we move ahead in life, we know that nothing is gonna stay the same, that things are going to change. And the Bible talks in many ways about transformation. We sang the, the lyrics about all things being made new. We've seen verses about that he will, he will make beauty from ashes. We read here today, grief to joy. We know the verse, all things working for the good. Talked about earlier now just about how important grief was and grief to joy. And the one thing I do want to uh, pause here for a moment and say is when I'm talking about this grief, grief turning to joy and the purpose of grief, I'm talking about it in this very context of us recognizing our need for a savior and recognizing our sin. Just as labor pain is very specific and there is purpose in that pain, there is sometimes pain that we go through that doesn't have a purpose. It lets us know that things aren't right. You know, if anyone's had a headache, a toothache, appendicitis, it's alerting us that something is wrong, but that, that pain may not be purposeful. And in the same way, there may be times that we go through grief that it may not have that same purpose in the way that we were just talking about it. And so I do want to make, make that distinction. And while we may grieve things that aren't about that, God can still turn that to joy. That he can, as Romans 8.28 says, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love them, who have been called according to his purpose. So whether that grief is from our recognition of our need for a savior and our sin, or this grief is something from the pain of this world, God can transform that. The danger is, is when we stay too long focusing on the grief, when we stay too long just about what pain we're in, that is a dangerous place to be in. And so what we must do is keep our eyes on Jesus and not just keeping our eyes on Jesus on the cross because if that's where it stopped, this would be a whole different story for us, but keep our eyes on Jesus when he meets them on the road when he meets them up in that small room, when he, the grave could not hold him. That is what we need to keep our eyes on. And when we think about how we apply this verse, all things work for the good, we can, sometimes it's easy to see that in maybe the small things, like that day that you oversleep a little bit and you think you're gonna be late to work, but maybe you missed a major accident on your way for those of you who still commute to work. But, those are those like nice, easy ones. One's like, God, work in those things for the good, for my good. But sometimes we face big, hard, crazy things that there is no explanation for. And we can wonder, how on earth is God going to work this for my good? How on earth? But that brings me to my final point. Not only will God transform but God will be triumphant as we are going on our way ahead. He will be triumphant. James read that, that final verse, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you will ha may have peace, but in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I would imagine if you've been here at Grace City for any length of time or been in the church, you've probably heard that verse before. <laughs> 
And you know, I, as, as I was preparing this message and I was thinking about this choice, I was like, you know, sometimes you hear it so often, something can maybe even lose its meaning, its impact. It can just be like, yeah, yeah, God's gonna overcome. But no, I want us to sit in this verse for a moment. He has overcome the world. What does that mean? So as the worship team up, comes up, I want to uh, close with a story. Long time ago, back when I was, I think, in middle school, I took this, um, I was in a science summer camp, and there was this exercise that we did on orienteering. So we had a map and a compass and had to find our way around this course. And this wasn't something, and it probably still isn't, but back then that definitely wasn't something that came easily to me. Um, but I, you know, have good stubborn streak was, was, was making my way slowly through trying to, trying to figure this out. But even though as frustrating as it was and wondering if I was on the right path as I'm wandering around, I knew where I was going to end up. I knew where the ending was on this course. And as I got closer and closer to that finish line, it became a little bit easier to figure out where the next step was because I could see where I was going. We know what the way ahead is. We already know that. And really all of those questions that you might have about the future, all of them pales to what knowing what is ahead, what Jesus says here, that he, we will see him again. There is no place that we can go and no trouble that we can encounter that God can't overcome. No matter what is going on in your life, there is no place that is too far, too hard, too much for God to transform and that he won't become triumphant. So I invite us as we stand and we worship together, I challenge each of us, what situation in your life, in this city, in this country, in this world, do we need to be reminded that God is triumphant and he will overcome. Let us stand and worship together.